Good evening and uh, welcome. Thank you for coming. My name is David Nathans. I'm the director of the Royal Oak Foundation. And for me, it's, it's great fun to be back in Massachusetts. I was born and raised in the western part of the state and I spent seven years on the vineyard. So it's actually good to be back in America. Um, but uh, first of all, let me welcome the Royal Oak members for coming tonight and also the Anthenaeum members uh, for joining us tonight. And I also want to thank uh, uh, Victoria O'Malley and Deborah Vernon of the Anthenaeum staff for what they do and our Christina uh, de Gershoff from Royal Oak for handling all the details. Um, and I want to extend a personal thank you to a former colleague from an upstate uh, New York uh, College Museum days, to Lizzie Barker, your uh, director here at the Anthenaeum. You're very fortunate to have Lizzie here. So round of applause for all of them. Uh, for those of you who, who may not know about the Royal Oak Foundation, we are the American membership affiliate of the National Trust for England, Wales, and Northern Ireland. Our mission is to raise awareness and advance the work of the National Trust, supporting their efforts in preserving and protecting natural and historic places in the UK forever and for everyone. Whether you're traveling to England this year or next, you can show your support for the National Trust by becoming a member or by renewing your membership in the Royal Oak. Among the nearly 500 properties you can visit when you're a Royal Oak member, one is Chartwell in the lower right-hand corner of your screen. It has the extensive collections uh, of Churchill's personal uh, and political memorabilia. Uh, Chartwell uh, uh, is the uh, family house for about 40 years. The National Trust does not own all of the property at Chartwell, and so we're working with them on a campaign to keep Churchill at Chartwell, uh, ensuring that these personal items remain in his home. And for more information about Chartwell and Royal Oak, you can see, uh, see me in the reception or information out on the front table. Now to the main event. Uh, tonight I'm delighted to welcome Laura Cavendish, the Countess of Burlington. Uh, Laura is the um, daughter-in-law of the current Duke and Duchess of Devonshire. And uh, Laura Burlington is a former model and editor at Harper's Bazaar and is currently uh, working with Vogue. She has worked in, as a fashion consultant for major stores and brands and has sat on the new generation board of the British Fashion Council since 2010. She currently uh, lives and works in London with her husband and three children. Uh, husband is here tonight, uh, and they make free, frequent visits back to the home in Chatsworth, where her groundbreaking exhibition, House Style, Five Centuries of Fashion at Chatsworth, featured historic costumes and fashions worn by the Cavendish family. It just closed at the Victoria and Albert Museum, but the catalog is for sale uh, at the reception uh, tonight, and it's, uh, it's more like a book than a catalog, pretty big. Uh, and uh, Lady Burlington uh, co-authored it, and she will be available uh, to sign it and speak with you uh, at the end of the evening. So please join me this evening in welcoming our distinguished speaker, Laura Cavendish, Lady Burlington.
Hello. Thank you very much um, to the Athenaeum and the Royal Oak and all of you for coming here today to listen to me. Thank you for coming. So, where are we going to start? Here, in, in Chatsworth. Has, has anyone actually been? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm going to have to watch my step then. Um, my father-in-law at this point always says how very easy Chatsworth is to access from London. It's, it's about two hours on the train from London and he may have some spies in this audience. Um, is anyone his spy? <laughs> he may have spies in this audience, so I'm going to say the same. If you're in London, it's easy to get to, and, um, and the sun is always shining, as in this picture. I'm, I'm going to talk for 45 minutes about uh, fashion at Chatsworth and fashion in the, in the Cavendish family. And this story really starts here. This is my daughter, um, my eldest daughter, Maud Cavendish. And she is wearing uh, uh, Nancy Mitford's christening gown, which we'll come on to later. And it was looking for a christening gown that I first had the idea that it may be interesting to have an exhibition of fashion at Chatsworth. And I went um, into this room with my mother-in-law to look for a christening gown. I, it was called the textiles store. And I went, uh, we, we went in and there were boxes really piled up to the ceiling. And we asked for them to come down and, and a box came out saying christening gowns. And we opened the box and there were layers of gowns, maybe 10 or 15 of them layered on top of each other and all sorts of hats and bonnets and that type of thing. And at dinner that night, I thought really I should ask them if we, if we could get someone who really knew about historical costume to come and look through what was in the rest of that storeroom. And I had the idea that we should ask this man on, on the left, Hamish Bowles. Some of you may know of him. He's been Anna Winter's right-hand man for 25 years. And he works for American Vogue. He, he also has built himself one of the greatest collections of women's clothes. And every time you speak to him, you call up and he... He says, I'm in the market and I've just found a Balenciaga. You know, he's always kind of... <laughs> he's always just found a Balenciaga in the market. It's unbelievable. I have never found a Balenciaga in the market. <laughs> but, um, and Hamish's uh, collection has actually become well-known and he show, he's shown pieces with the Met and um, all over the world. And I sent him an email. I didn't know him terribly well. I was a little tentative. And I said to him, please, would you be interested in coming to stay for the weekend at Chatsworth to look through some of the trunks and boxes of old clothes? And I sent off this email and then had a kind of crisis of confidence that he might not remember me or he might not be pleased to, to do this. 
And immediately, within about two seconds, this email pinged back saying, yes, when would you like me to come? (laughs) And he arrived, and right away, he, we, went to, we started to look through the clothes and he immediately said that we must get the man on the right who is Patrick Kimmonth. He is a theatre designer um, and a ballet designer, an interior decorator and he, Hamish really felt that he needed to design the exhibition that we were to make. But this is where we started to look and, and this is what we found. I mean, in, in the back of Chatsworth, the, piece, the bits that aren't open to the public, there are rooms and storerooms and, um, you know, an incredible wealth of uh, material to go through. On, on the left, you can see the slip covers that are put on the f- family's furniture where, or used to be put on their furniture when they went away. So just a storeroom of these rather beautiful linen covers. And on the right are the liveries. These are um, the staff's uniform um, made in, in the turn of the century, and they're made of beautiful yellow felt with purple velvet um, sort of knickerbockers and edged in, and the edges are slightly grey, and the reason they're grey is because they're they're made of silver lace, and the lace has tarnished over time. So we started to find these things, which was pretty exciting. And this is the theatre. We, because all the objects were in so many different places, we decided to really get a handle on what we had. We needed to bring all these clothes together in the one place. And so on the hottest day of the year, because obviously that's the day you do, I mean, it it was, I think, 28 degrees. And it's not often 28 degrees in in Derbyshire, but it was on that day. And all these clothes came out of the back rooms and even the dressing up cupboard. And we laid them all out and tried to get a handle on what we had and they all sort of breathed and the whole room was this intoxicating smell of mothballs and that sort of thing. But um, I'm going to now do something dangerous which is try and work the green thing. Yes, if you look at this uh, this item here on the front, um, this was something that we discovered and the whole story of this exhibition is, is discovering kind of lost Items, and this was one of the discoveries that we made. And here it is in in the exhibition, and it is a 1953 Dior gown. And when I tell you that Christian Dior, many many of you will know this, but Christian Dior was only head of his house for 10 years, and he really didn't make many clothes. And you can go to the Dior archive in Paris and record it there are all the models that he sold. And when you look down, you realise there are only five or six or sometimes two or three of each dress. So to find one in a sort of heap hanging over a hanger is the fashion equivalent of finding a Rembrandt in in the attic. And I, of course, wouldn't have given that piece of cloth a second look, but Hamish 
immediately knew what it was. He picked it up and started dancing around the room. And, <laughs> he, um, and then he said, I, I know what this is, I know what this is. And he rushed off um, to go and find Wi-Fi so that he could um, show me. There are some things that we, we knew we had in the collection, and this, this is one of them. This is Duchess Louise. She, um, she was married to the eighth Duke of Devonshire, and this is her gown she wore for the most famous party she ever gave, which was the Devonshire House Ball that was held at Devonshire House on Piccadilly. Um, designed, the building was, uh, the interior was designed by William Kent, and they gave the grandest of balls for uh, Queen Victoria's Jubilee and went to enormous lengths to make sure that it was the, the ball of the season. It was a fancy dress ball. The, um, the, it had a theme, allegorical and historical figures before 1815. And Louise did something quite cunning, which was not tell anyone what the theme was until quite near the event. So, so her dress was more splendid than anyone else's. So it's worth, it's worth remembering that. As, um, they, they had the foresight to have 400 of the guests photographed, and we have that album so we can research where some of the other costumes might be. And uh, uh, here's another picture of the dress. And you realize when you see them in color how astonishing um, the colors were and how, how beautiful they were. The, uh, her dress was made by um, the House of Worth. It was designed by Camelli, the greatest couturiers of their day with the Austrian crystal and it's really so beautiful and, and probably the most important dress in the Devonshire collection. This is the installation in the house. And we managed to find um, about six other costumes to show alongside the dress that were in various institutions, such as the V&A, the Museum of London. We also have many photographs of of the other, other guests. And these are two particular favorites of mine. This is uh, the ca uh, Countess of Westmoreland, who um, came as Hebe and went completely simple, apart from the eagle, <laughs> which, um, which always makes me laugh. I mean, that must have really had an effect on her enjoyment of the evening, don't you? <laughs> um, and Lady Randolph Churchill, um, she was Empress Theodora on the left um, in a gown also made by Worth. Uh, I've got another couple of pictures. This absolutely marvellous um, outfits here. The Duke of Marlborough on, on the left and his beautiful wife, Consuela Vanderbilt, who was, who was seven months pregnant at the time, which is astonishing to think of. They went um, as the French ambassador and wife of the court of Catherine of Russia. And there's some quite funny, uh, quite a funny letter went to the, to the House of Worth, where the Duke of Marlborough asked, 
asked them to make him something new under the sun that shone on the worth establishment. So quite a, quite a request. And the bill for these for something new that shone on the worth establishment was 5,000 francs then, which was a considerable amount of money. Two costumes that never made it to Chatsworth are, are these two, and I, I like to... Um, I wanted to include them because they're so splendid and they, they're actually in, in the Norwegian royal collection. And despite me writing about 10 crazy letters to them, begging for them to send them to Chatsworth, they managed to resist. Um, I even made my father-in-law write as well. <laughs> um, maybe another time, another time. This is Georgina. Uh, some of you may, may, may have heard of her. She was uh, uh, actually the, she was in the film The Duchess, which starred Kira Knightley, and this is her in a in a in a um, sorry Gainsborough uh, portrait. And she was married to the fifth duke. She was called by Horace Walpole. Warpole, the Empress of Fashion, and she was witty, um, she was clever, glamorous, wildly rich, elegant, and not a conventional beauty, but this didn't seem to matter. She was tutored on, on um, she was tutored on the art of dress by her mother, whose intellect and piety did nothing to diminish her love of clothes. She, uh, her trousseau when she married uh, was 1,486 pounds. And on the, the right, you can see her bills that arrived at Chatsworth, or some of her bills that arrived at Chatsworth after she died. She spent furiously and it was very difficult after she died to work out um, whether the bills were genuine and honest or, or whether they were fabricated because so many of them arrived. Um, she, she thought nothing of uh, those bills for 65 pairs of shoes um, from someone called Pierre Lagloire with, with um, golden heels and, I mean, incredible expenditure and um, she knew about fashion she was interested in fashion we can move on um, she was interested in fashion because of uh, she was connected with the French court Marie Antoinette was her friend and she was interested in what the fashions were there and she was ahead of the game so Here's a, here's a letter from Lady Claremont to her where she is, Lady Claremont is describing the fashion in Paris. And she says, she says here that um, the young people, they sit, they do not sit on the seat. Um, I will draw a picture for you. They have to sit on the, on the floor of their carriages because their hair is so high. Their head is so high. And... This was, this was how she got to know about the fashion that she really became 
that she really became famous for, which is, was known as the High Heads, where the, she and a number of other women in the court um, competed on how, how high um, their feathers could be. And Georgina normally won this competition, which, um, and there's a little, on the left is a, is a little play on her name. She was Georgina Spencer from Althrop, but this is called Lady Alltop, which uh, is, is clearly referring to her. Here is a tiny little brooch, and this is where you realise that it's not just the most valuable and most expensive objects that are interesting, but this is a tiny brooch which has Georgina's hair in it, and it was made posthumously after her death and is almost one of my favourite things in the collection because you really get a sense of what she was like, the, the lightness of her hair um, from it. You know, there are, from the portraits, it's hard to really... Um, take away to, to, to have as many clues about what someone is like but fr from something like this you can, it tells you a lot of it gives you a lot of clues here in a famous Cosway portrait and I'm going to show you this portrait that is right at the end of the corridor and this is how in the exhibition we staged um, a room devoted to Georgina and you'll notice that the, uh, the cases are cylindrical. And Patrick decided to make these cylindrical perspex cases to house the clothes that you could walk all the way around. And he, no one had, has made uh, clothing cases like this before. And he got the idea from fighter jets that they have this um, cylindrical perspex that is very strong and doesn't distort. And you can see some of, the, some of the clothes that are clearly inspired by Georgina, although they're not her clothes because none of her clothes exist. Um, the, fir the first dress you get to on, on the left is, is a shepherdess dress of, of Duchess Evelyn's. And this is what it's like when you find it in a box. And so it's quite thrilling to open these boxes and find these tiny, be beautiful clothes. The waist is, is minute, um, less than 19 inches. And um, it just shows, shows you how, from childhood, they wore corsets and so had this extraordinary, extraordinary shape. And this dress actually had two months of restoration, making the inside strong enough to to have it on, on a mannequin for the exhibition. And I'm really glad we did that because it, it's so beautiful, the bustle at the back. But obviously, inspired by Georgina and the 18th century style, her influence has run throughout the family. And I, I think when you're at Chatsworth, she's almost there somehow. There's so many of, of thing, things that were inspired by her. I couldn't come to America without talking about some, some of your uh, countrymen who have married into the family. And this is Adele Astaire, uh, Fred, Fred Astaire's uh, sister. 
and his dance partner. And she, uh, she married uh, Lord Charles Cavendish, who was the second son of the ninth Duke. And I think there was a certain amount of resistance in the, in the family, or a little apprehension at the idea of Lord Charles marrying um, an actress. I think, I think it maybe wasn't um, considered to be the, uh, the, maybe a favoured choice until they met her. And this is, this, is, this is where they chose to meet her. And there's a good, there's a good, they set up a, a, a coffee, a tea, probably, being English, and at the end of this room, and this is the library at Chatsworth, for those of you who've been there know this, and they set tea up at one end, really deliberately, um, you know, impressive. And Duchess Mary wrote in a letter about this meeting. She said, we were all gathered like stone pillars in the library. The heavy doors opened and there stood this tiny girl, beautifully dressed. We waited for her to approach us, but instead of walking, she began turning cartwheels. Everyone <laughs> loved it. <laughs> <laughs> And so I think that was quite amazing, you know. <laughs> and any apprehension they had was immediately dismissed because she was so vivacious and alive and funny and different. And they were fascinated by her and she by them. And this is her on her, on her wedding day um, to Lord Charles. And it's a pity that the, the picture is in black and white because she's in a very chic Mamboka suit with, with a pale blue fur and orange, an orange trim apparently on, on the waist. But we don't register any, any of that. And the picture on the right is her in Ireland where she went to live with Lord Charles. One of the real excitements of making an exhibition is when you when you make a discovery and and did we we were going through some reels at Chatsworth or the collections team were going through some um, old photographic reels um, cine film reels and we found one of Adele and it is the only moving imagery that exists of. <laughs> Um, of her that we know about and I'm going to show you just there's a, it's about 20 seconds or 30 seconds but I think you, you get a little idea of her personality and this is an extraordinary thing to find, it was only found about a year ago There she is. <laughs> I mean, what a, how wonderful to, to discover that. And the um, New York artist T.J. Wilcox made a wonderful film about her about nine years ago, explaining her life and 
um, there were a lot of sadness in in her life and her marriage. Her husband uh, really drank himself to death, aged about 39, and they they lost there's three three of their children buried in the churchyard in Lismore, and you know I think the grief of this really sort of killed him. Uh, she went on to remarry and always returned to Lismore every every year in her um, holidays and the, the home that she had with him. Um, but her life was one of great happiness but also great sorrow. Um, here also married in married in 1944 Kick Kennedy who was the beloved sister of JFK and also I think tremendously uh, vivacious and a book has recently been written about her and um, you know I think she was had such kindness and such a wonderful spirit about her which is, you can sort of see from the photographs. And uh, she had a very, very um, sad, uh, uh, she died, uh, her husband died four months after they were married. He was shot um, in the war in Brussels by a sniper, having liberated, having crossed the Somme and liberated Brussels, and this was obviously um, devastating for her. She, we found something really extraordinary. This was the last thing we found to enter the exhibition, which is this tiny little locket. Um, I'm going to use my green thing again here, um, which she gave Billy's mother, and just. There was great affection for her in the family, and she is she's actually buried at at Chatsworth, and and JFK actually came up there to to visit her grave, and and um, pay his respects to her. She was much loved by her mother-in-law Evelyn, and also um, Deborah Devonshire Debo. Um, on, who you can see here on the, on the left. This actually brings us on to Debo, and she was a Mitford, for many of you may know this. She's, um, here she is with, with her, there were six sisters, one, one brother, and she was the youngest. And she, they were very interested in fashion, or some of them were. Actually, they were really divided. Um, they say they were divided by those that described parties by what they wore and those that described them by what they ate. <laughs> and I think Debo definitely described them by what, what, she, what she wore. Here she is in, in American Vogue. She was really elegant and very interested in um, the fashions of uh, 
of French fashion, um, and this she learnt from her sister, Nancy. Um, Nancy Mitford uh, made quite a lot of money as a writer and moved to Paris in 1946. Um, and it was really here that this great kind of resurgence of French fashion began. And Nancy liked to shop at Chaparelli and um, Madame Grey and also Dior. She bought from Christian Dior a suit from, uh, from, from the first collection he made called the Daisy, Daisy Suit. And she, Nancy always said about fashion that it, it's inexplicable to love clothes as much as I do, as I'm not at all vain. And <laughs> they were, they were uh, very strictly brought up to think of vanity as, as being a very bad thing. And they had a nanny who, um, I mean, she must have been fairly long-suffering. But Diana, on her wedding day, at the height of her beauty, uh, was fussing with the strap on her wedding dress. And nanny said to her, I don't know why you're fussing. No one's going to be looking at you. <laughs> so I, I think... Um, I think this strange, interest in clothes, but also a kind of lack of vanity and a lack of fussiness pervades the Mitford way of dressing. Here is Nancy on her wedding dress, in her wedding dress to her first husband, um, Peter Rod, and Debo in hers, which is the most beautiful Victor Stiebel dress, which sadly doesn't exist. It, there was a, um, some dresses were lost at Chatsworth. Um, I think there was a terrible moth issue. Um, and that some dresses were lost in one particular cupboard. And, and this, this was one of, one of them, which it was, it was, just before rationing came in, this dress was made, and I don't think it, it would have been allowed afterwards. Um, but it, it's the photographs by Madame Yvonne. There's also something incredibly pragmatic about Deborah's wardrobe. She had all her shirts made by Tambal and Asa, and she had a uniform that she liked to wear every day so as not to have to waste time thinking about clothes and so she had all these shirts made in different colors all, all exactly the same and this was her day everyday uniform and she had everyday shoes that were all exactly the same all kept you know a sort of pragmatism about clothes as well as an, a love of very beautiful things um, and it was interesting to go and find these and we're also about 12 kilts, that, which was what she wore on, on the bottom half. Um, there was also... <laughs> there's also some really funny things, like, <laughs> that, um, like these Elvis slippers. She was, a, she was a lifelong fan of Elvis, and she had various Elvis handbags, uh, slippers... Um, she was a bit, she was a huge fan 
And we, we were very amused when we, when we came across the sort of Elvis accessory department. But not as amused as we were when we came across the, <laughs> the rubber chicken handbags, which, I, I mean, which probably should not have been allowed to be in the exhibition, but they somehow made them in. I like the way there's a purse that goes inside. <laughs> um, this is, is one of the most um, famous portraits of, of her by Lucian Freud. And my father-in-law to, uh, has told me um, he can really remember how shocked some of his parents friends were when this portrait arrived. Uh, his, his mother was 39 at the time, so I think they f thought it wasn't maybe necessarily the most flattering uh, depiction of her. Um, the, William's grandfather apparently went to see it in a gallery and... Um, a man was standing beside him, he was looking at it, and a man stood beside him and said, uh, who is that woman? And he said, that's my wife. And the man said, goodness, I'm glad it's not mine. <laughs> Which he was a little surprised by. But the, the clothes, the interesting clothes of that generation were not reserved by just Deborah. I mean, this is the 11th Duke, her husband, Andrew Devonshire, in the lower library. And we were very surprised to open this suitcase, which, in which were 22 jumpers that he had, um, he was obviously had a hotline to the jumper maker. And asked them to make jumpers with various slogans, um, things that he wanted to say to the world, like, like never marry a mitford, or just do something, or all passion spent. I mean, there's all kinds of extraordinary ones, and it was amazing to find them. And he, he wore these mainly in private, but he occasionally forgot and would be, you know, found... <laughs> Some poor person would be rather surprised to find him walking around the house in a Never Marry a Mitford jumper. That when I made the exhibition, I, we were lucky enough to be supported by Gucci and Alessandro Michele, the head designer of Gucci, was, was very enamoured by these jumpers. And here... <laughs> <laughs> down the catwalk, down the uh, spring-summer 2018 catwalk came a Never Marry a Mitford jumper, which um, I'm not sure the 11th Duke would have worn it with the necklace and the shorts, but I... <laughs> but um, we, were, we were very, very amused to, to see that um, these will be available for, for sale come the spring. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I really loved is when you get different generations of the family and you sort of get uh, things repeating um, throughout the generations. And 
here you have Stella Tennant, who was, uh, is Deborah Devonshire's granddaughter, um, my husband William's first cousin, and we were incredibly lucky to have her in, in the family, particularly when you're making a book on fashion, because she has had a career as a fashion model really at the top of her game for about 20 years. She's worked with all the most famous photographers and designers. And you can see her here in, uh, in a hat made by Stephen Jones with two widow birds attached to it. Stella, for some reason, went to a taxidermist and got these birds and then drove it to a rather surprised Stephen Jones and asked if he could um, attach them to a hat for her. I mean, I don't know who thinks like that, but Stella thinks like that. And I wonder if in her subconscious she was remembering this hat that her grandmother was given by Evelyn Waugh. And um, somewhere here I have the designer. Uh, if I can find it. Yes, Rose Valois. Any, anyway, um, Debo described this hat as a great giver of confidence when opening church fates. <laughs> and I really, I really enjoy where you see history repeating itself through the different generations. Here they are together in the famous Testino portrait of them. And... Um, Stella wearing what her grandmother described in a book as a pointless top. <laughs> and um, they, they appeared in many different uh, photographs and magazines together because as Stella became more famous, people all also loved to photograph her, her grandmother as well. Here is Stella, another picture I really love of her in the Rhododendrons by Tim Walker. And one of the great things of making the exhibition and the book was going to Scotland, to where she lives, and being allowed to go through her clothes and uh, look at what was there. And Stella, here, one of the things we found on the left is an Alexander McQueen dress which was made for Stella for her first ever fashion shoot. And this, this was her first fashion shoot she ever did. It was for British Vogue. It was, the photographer was Stephen Mizell. And Alexander McQueen made this dress for her on his kitchen table, which it was before he had big factories or any of those things. And Stella just ha happened to have this dress in a, in a, in a bag, sort of tucked away. She was an art student at the time. She really had no idea that she could be um, a model and was very surprised by the idea of it. A few years later, here she is, three years later, actually. This is the fashion show that really made Alexander McQueen. Um, made, it, it was known as his Walking on Water show. And it really did appear that all the models walked on water. And Stella, again, was, was in that show, and she was paid 
by him in clothes. And so she was given the dress she, she had on as payment. And this, her collection of clothes is really extraordinary um, because many designers couldn't afford to pay her and gave her, gave her something to wear. Unfortunately, nobody gave her this, which <laughs> is also um, one of my favorite things that we showed, which is Karl Lagerfeld for Chanel. And it was, I think, one of the most beautiful things he's ever made whilst at Chanel. And it's a coat inspired by the Coromandel um, screens in Coco Chanel's apartment in Paris. And there's something like a thousand hours of Lesage embroidery in it. And it's heavily uh, embroidered and beaded. And, is, and Stella wore um, in, uh, in one of the Chanel shows when she walked for Karl Lagerfeld. And it was a really exciting to have that come to Chatsworth. And it was a much admired part of the of the exhibition. Also in that, the room that it stood in is this piece of jewelry that I, I thought I'd show you because um, it's one of the most famous pieces of jewelry in the Devonshire collection. And it's known as the Devonshire Perreur. It was commissioned by the sixth Duke and he, he commissioned it for his niece, Marie, who was going with her husband, Lord Granville, to be the Queen's representative at um, the, coronation, uh, the coronation of Alexander II in 1856. And the sixth Duke really had visited Russia and he knew that it, the event required something incredibly splendid. And he was he knew about the rarity of the second Duke's collections of cameos and intaglios. And so he used the second Duke's um, collection of stones and had, it, had them set in this piece of jewellery by C.F. Hancock of Bruton Street. And, I, and Patrick, um, I've, I'd only ever seen this jewellery in a box, but Patrick had the idea of mounting it on a mannequin. And... You, it really comes alive because you can see how splendid she must have been and how unusual it must have been to, have, to be wearing something which no one else would have. Anyway, this is the room that all these things are housed in. You can just, you can just see there's the um, Chanel dress and here is the jewellery. So I thought I'd give you some idea of what these things looked like within the house. In the chapel, just before I finish, I'd like to just show you a, a few slides just from the chapel, which, which, which um, housed the wedding, the, all the existent family wedding dresses. And another great discovery um, of the exhibition was Stella's wedding dress, which had been lost and lost for 18 years. It was made by Helmut Lang, um, a really conceptual Austri uh, Austrian designer, 
And when she wore it in 1993, I can remember how, um, you know, how avant-garde it was. I mean, it seemed quite extraordinary. And when she came out of the church in Scotland, her grandmother said to her, Oh, the bandaged bride, which I, which I, which is maybe not what you say to your granddaughter. But Stella um, lived in New York at the time, and after the wedding, someone had put her, her dress underneath her mother's dress in the same box. And when her mother's dress came to Chatsworth for the exhibition, uh, when they were unpacking it, they found Stella's dress. And I got this phone call at about 7 o'clock on a Sunday morning from someone at Chatsworth, very excited, saying, I found a vest with a bit of chiffon attached to it um, <laughs> in Helmut Lang wrapping paper. And it sounded very promising. But this was, this was Stella's wedding dress. And again, I, an exciting thing to find. And she was, she was very happy to have it back because it's always sad, to, I think, to, to lose something so symbolic. And finally, my, I'll just show you my mother-in-law. This is her, um, Amanda Hayward Lonsdale, as she was then, on her wedding day in, um, her Givenchy wedding dress, and um, which was given to her by her godmother, Carmen. And she's wearing uh, one of the uh, Devonshire tiaras. And really, my mother and father-in-law have been so supportive of this endeavor and this making this book and allowing all these things, really, to over overrun their house for seven months. I can't imagine many people's parents-in-law allowing such a carry-on, but they did, and so I wanted really to end with them and um, really to uh, say thank you to them for all their support. If their spies are here, they can. <laughs> thank you. That's the end.